0: The Game Podcast is proudly sponsored by StarCityGames.com. The next two weekends feature Modern on the SCG Tour with stops in Charlotte this weekend and Cincinnati the next. There are new articles every weekday by some of the best players in the world on StarCityGames.com. Hey everyone, quick editor note here. Brian's audio was pretty distorted for this recording. I did my best to clean it up so hopefully it isn't too annoying at times, but we'll make sure it's all clean for next week. Now let's start the show.
1: Time to play the game. Okay. game on! Time to play the game! Game on! Hey everyone, and welcome to the 49th episode of The Game Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gottlieb. And unfortunately, Jerry was not available to host today. So I'm stepping in, taking the reins here. But I think we made it up for you by having a really excellent guest on the show. And I'm going to introduce him right now. Please welcome... Jerry Thompson. Hi. Hi, Jerry.
0: (laughs) That's a good intro, man. We
1: decided to switch things up a little bit this week just because, uh, as we were talking about before the show, I think Jerry knows more about standard magic right now than almost anyone in the world. Um, It feels fairly foolish to have he and I contributing on an equal plane. And also, I just have a ton of questions for Jerry. I want to know his answers, and I'm sure all of our listeners want to know your answers. So are you ready to go, Jerry?
0: Oh, yeah. Let's do it.
1: Nice. Uh, Let's just get right into kind of the big elephant in the room, the big story, the reason we're all here. We want to hear about your Worlds experience. And I know that's a broad topic, but just give us, you know, the general, this is how my weekend went, this is what I was feeling, all that all that broad stuff. And then we'll get into more specifics as we go throughout.
0: Yeah, so Worlds was a hell of a lot of fun. And I know this is like kind of absurd. And if if someone told me this, I would just be like, yeah, whatever. But like, if you have a chance to qualify, you should do it.
1: Oh that's that's interesting. I wasn't thinking I was going to qualify, but if you're really putting the stamp of approval on it, maybe I'll try this year. I don't know
0: yeah if if you find yourself in the finals of the pro tour, you know i would I would try and win but yeah this this tournament was weird because this this was like the most nervous I've ever felt at a magic tournament, and it's like it's it's really hard to turn that stuff off, you know it's like granted, it was like kind of warm in the venue or whatever, but it's like you know my hands were sweating and all this stuff, and it's just like what is wrong with me like I've I've played these tournaments before, I've played against these these people before, you know, what is up? And yeah, it was just, it was kind of nerve-wracking, and then I started O2, which didn't make things any better, but then thankfully I got to salvage my draft with a win, which is the best feeling. There's no better, like, you can 3-0 your draft, and that's cool, right? But like, if you're O2 and you win round 3 of your pod, like, that is that is the best feeling by far.
1: Yeah, squeaking then, out that desperate one, is it It definitely takes a load off your shoulders, especially for a long tournament like Worlds, where you know you're playing every round anyway.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, got to Constructed very quickly, when 3-0, was just, like, feeling on top of the world, and then lost a mirror match to Raptor in the last round, where, I don't know, I, I feel like I got kibblered. You, do you know this, this term?
1: I, I don't know exactly what you're referring to, no. I'm sure I will once you talk about it, but no, I, I don't know the term.
0: So... The CFB crew has worked with Kibler a lot of times over the years, and the thing that Brian would always do, like, which which isn't necessarily bad, it's just, like, you know, he, he would, like, be building his green deck in the corner, and then he would figure out what the team deck is going to play, and then, like, he would tune his deck accordingly, right? Because he assumed that whatever the team came up with was also, like, what other people were going to come up with. Okay. But what actually ends up happening is that, like, at Worlds one year, like, Josh played Black Green instead of Jun, so he had no Lightning Bolts, and Kibler put four Mirren Crusaders in his deck.
1: Wow. That's... I, I don't know. Are we, like, kind of outing him right now, or are we putting him on blast for doing this? This, this is a little scandalous.
0: This is a thing. He's he's done this a lot. So, uh, it's, it's just kind of like a running joke at this point. And, like, I, I, I think I, like, pegged the metagame, and I tried to tune my deck accordingly, right? So I had, like, three searches main, two field of runes, third field of rune in the board, fourth search in the board. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I don't think a lot of other people are going to play control, so, like, we don't need a ton of stuff. And they're just like, well, search is obviously busted. We think control is great. We think other people are going to think control is great. So, like, they had, like, Arguel's Bloodfast in the third field main deck and all all this stuff for control. And it's like, guys, I'm not going to do that, you know? And then I I lose to Raptor because he has, like, all these extra cards for control in his deck.
1: Yeah, and just having, <clears throat> excuse me, just having a couple copies of those cards you're you're mentioning right now kind of changes the entire matchup, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I do think that like games two and three, like he had Bloodfast both games, but if I had drawn a threat earlier, I would have been okay. And then uh, obviously there's a world of difference between five and two and four and three, but overall it was just like, man, you know, I started 02, ended up four and three, like I lost to a mirror match and that was my only loss in Constructed. Like I'm feeling good. I feel like, if I get out of my draft with a 3-0, I'm definitely going to win. And if I get a 2-1, like, I feel pretty good.
1: Mm-hmm. So we move on to day two. Give us the story there.
0: Uh, drafted uh, kind of uh, another poor deck, which I should really stop doing. But it's it's unavoidable sometimes. Uh, managed to escape with a 2-1. Felt pretty good. Uh, beat Seth on camera the round after that, in constructed, And then ran afoul of some PGOs. I'd beaten Reed earlier in the tournament, and I I think Reed was more content, at least before, like, playing the matchup, to keep, like, slower hands and, like, maybe trying to, like, out-control me or whatever because he wasn't really putting me under pressure early, so it was, like, a pretty easy 2-0 for me. But then you play against, like, Huey and Owen back-to-back, and they're, like, mulliganing aggressively, like, trying to play Cub on two and just trying to kill me. So those matchups were a lot harder, and... Honestly, like the games were all pretty bad. It was like they were all super lopsided affairs, one way or the other. Just like I would be like super flooded one game, next game like Owen would maul the four or whatever, and it was just things that I ended up uh, coming out on the bad end
1: of. Mm. Yeah, I popped in. I, I was super busy this weekend, so I didn't get to watch a ton of coverage, which was super unfortunate. But I popped in right after you beat Seth, and I kind of had that feeling, like. Oh, man, we're about to do it right now. Like, it just felt like things were coming together. I knew how confident you were in your standard deck, and I thought the next time I checked in, I was going to be, you know, reading your name in the top four. Uh, But unfortunately, things went a little south at that point.
0: Yeah, dude, if I I could pay money to, like, just run the tournament back, like, with with the same info or whatever, like, I would happily do that because I think I'm a favorite, but...
1: Very interesting. Um, you know, the thing I want to talk most about, and I think the thing everyone wants to hear about, is this blue-black deck. But real quick before we move to that, do you have anything you want to say about Exelon Limited? Any any thoughts? Any quick pointers you want to just give out? So
0: what, the problem that I had in my first draft was figuring out what colors I was supposed to be in because it's really difficult to tell what is a signal and what isn't when all the cards are like B-minuses. Hmm. So like one pack, I would get past a pack with like, a black grizzly bear as like the best card, and then, like the next pack, there's like a blue grizzly bear, and then maybe like a green grizzly bear or whatever, and it's just like all these cards are so bad, I have no idea what signals are,
1: yeah, it's been a you know there's a lot of hate for this draft format right now. I'm not going to say I hate it, I don't think it's one of the best draft formats. I don't think it's one of the worst. it probably falls right about in the middle, and I think I have kind of a a bias against tribal formats as a whole. I don't necessarily love tribal draft formats, but this has been a tough cookie to crack. And kind of the answer that I'm starting to get to is maybe there's just not that much to crack. Like maybe it's a little bit more simple than we tried to make it at first. And it's just about like two drops tricks and finding your colors quickly. And that's kind of the key to every draft is just getting into the right two colors.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It it is sad that it's, it's a tribal set, but the payoffs aren't really sweet you know it's just like okay well now my my dinosaur gets plus one plus one or whatever like who cares
1: yeah and right. that that was the first hurdle i had to overcome in drafting the set was that i was drafting it like you would Lorwyn, and like in lorwin each like merfolk you add to your deck is exponentially better because of its synergies with every single other merfolk in your deck and just every spell right. is powered up by having you know 23 merfolk spells Uh, Ixalan is very much not like that. It's about getting the small bonuses and, in often cases, just playing the best card. Um, Something like, again, I'm going to show my horribleness with card names. I think it's Territorial Hammer Skull is the white 2-3 tap a guy when it attacks. Yep. I mean, it doesn't matter that it's a dinosaur in most cases. It's just a very good aggressive creature that fits in every conceivable white aggressive deck. So um, getting over that hurdle was step one, and now step two is just kind of like, profit i mean there's really not much left there it's just you take the best cards you take the best tricks and you see where your packs lead you
0: yeah if it weren't for pirates in general but also just like blue black treasures splashing cards with like cc in their mana cost like star of extinction or whatever like that is that that's the funnest archetype for me and if that didn't exist i'd just be like what the hell is this format
1: yeah, I I've had one deck that I was like super enthused about and it basically was like blue red control um using a lot of treasures and had sunbirds invocation as the top end and was just kind of like this inevitability-based control deck that just generated a lot of two-for-ones, and as time went on, you basically just ended up in this unassailable board state. Obviously, I drew in the finals because I was unable to finish my games in time. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's that was the high point of the format for me, and everything else has just been like, okay, here's this tribal deck. It's pretty good. You know, a lot of non-games for the nut blue-green merfolk and black-white vampires decks, you just kind of run over your opponent when everything comes together. Not in my top five, top ten, top fifteen draft formats of all time, but I don't think it's the worst either.
0: No, it's definitely not. I mean, there are things like AVR and Cold Snap where it's just like that—that that stuff was like kind of unplayable. You yeah. Know? Like this, this is at least reasonable. It's just, it's a, a swift departure from um, Almond block.
1: Yep. Um, okay, so let's let's wrap back around. Let's let's get into it. The blue-black control deck. I know you are absolutely in love with this deck, so walk us through the genesis of the deck we'll start there and then we'll we'll go from that point
0: so let me preface this by saying i hate control mm-hmm. i think that modern control decks typically i think like people just overrate how good they are it's just like oh it feels so good because you have like answers to most things and like you have powerful cards and whatever but it's like on average your cards cost like half a mana more than your opponent's and when you were trying to answer, like, every single thing that your opponent is doing, let alone the fact that, you know, most of their things are, like, hard to deal with. You know, it's like they have Scrap Heaps, Groungers, and Vehicles, and Gideons, and stuff, and maybe it's not as pronounced as it was before, but, like, Control is just automatically in a tough position, and, like, their cards are just, like, clunky and expensive, generally don't have payoffs, generally don't have, like, enough card advantage. In this case, we didn't have a good sweeper. Like, there was Yehenny's Expertise or Bantu's less Reckoning, but for this tournament specifically, it was like, okay, a lot of people are going to play red, and that's that's just unavoidable. Like, I don't think people like uh, Marcio are are not going to play red, you know? It just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But past that, there's going to be a lot of teamer, maybe some black green, maybe some control decks, right? And I did my my normal process, which is like, all right, new set comes out. Let's try some brews. Okay, let's try some some good decks and see exactly how good these things are. And then wait for some results to come in. Maybe try some some brewing again, and then uh, go back to just like picking a good deck and fine tuning it and everything. The the brews did not really pan out. The good decks were still good. The open didn't really add a whole lot. There was you know like Salt Eye, which was a thing that I was working on, and I think I think their list was. Like, probably better than mine. Like, four Blossoming Defense with four Hostage Taker is good. Uh, I still think that Hostage Taker is just pretty bad against Teamer in general because all their things are, are, you know, provide some utility, right? So if they ever get their creature back, it's a disaster. Mm. But I ended up, like, focusing on black and blue cards just because I liked the game plan of Gifted Aetherborn plus Gaunti against these green decks. Uh, Essence Scatter is also very good. Yeah, just, like, counter spells in general were pretty good. So, like, I was working on, like, these mid-range reanimator decks and had some good conversations with, like, Sam Black and, and Raptor. I think at this point Martin had already left for Providence because he had a GP he had to win. <laughs> but uh, Raptor goes to sleep because he goes to bed at, like, midnight or whatever. I stay up till, like, 4, and I'm, like, brewing just a more controlling version of my deck, basically. It's like, oh, well, maybe it's time to just, like, up the amount of search for as count does and play more counter spells and just like have Scarab God as my finisher because once you have that, you don't need Liliana or any of that nonsense, right? right. So I build this control deck, go to sleep, wake up. Uh Raptor is finishing up building a deck on Moto. I walk over, it's blue black control. Our lists are like 10 cards different. Uh Sam is like, yeah, that deck looks great. And it's just like we we kinda just like went from there. I mean when when I told the story at Worlds to like Frank who was doing the deck tech stuff, he was like, oh but there was there was also like this beginning stuff that Raptor did where like Ben Lundquist built a blue-black control deck and then he had talked to Chapin and there there was a blue-black control deck on like Raptor's table, but it looked like archaic, you know, it was like mm-hmm. no searches, four glimmers, whatever. So it's like, I guess that's where Raptor was going off of, but I was going off of my black-blue mid Rage deck.
1: So the thing that strikes me first about this list, and I think the biggest upgrade is Search. Do you want to talk about that card a little bit in the context of this list? What does, what it enables here? The card is busted. Yeah.
0: It is is straight busted. It's like, you know, we were talking about it during like the the preview shows, right? And it's like, oh, this is a card that like ramping gross you and is this engine. And then you play with it. It's like, okay, like this card is just super messed up. It's super cheap. So you don't really have to take the shields down in order to actually play it. It helps you filter your draws before it sets up. And then either it gives you like land nine for like play Scarab God plus activate, or it gives you like land six to like gearhawk Hulk them on turn five, or it just allows you to impulse every turn for an answer. Yeah, it's it's just completely incredible. Like maybe the right number is four. I don't know. Like Sam wanted it to be a search for Ascantha deck. And I don't know if you can actually like go that hard on it because there are just some games where you need to just, like, play Scarab God and, like, hope that that wins you the game, you know? Yep. Like, I, I really I really did want both plans to be at the forefront of my deck, like, both Scarab God and Search. But Sam was like, no, nope, I'm just going to sit back, counter other spells, and just, like, search every game. And I think that's, like, a viable strategy, which is not particularly healthy.
1: One of the things that is really striking... I think Control gets this kind of reputation for being the thinking man's deck, the more difficult deck to play. This deck actually looks very simple to me in that you just don't let them do anything ever, and eventually your Search for Azkanta or your Scarab God assures you'll just take over the game. And, And there really isn't a lot of... I guess a lot of play in the early turns. I'm sure as the game draws on and you have access to, you know, 16, 17 mana in a turn and you're trying to find the optimal play, things get very complicated. But as far as kind of reaching that point where you've established control, it seems so clean to me. It's just like, answer their threat, answer their threat, answer their threat. Here's my thing that nobody can beat.
0: Yeah, Chapin Chapin put it pretty well where in his article earlier this week, he talked about how the deck was like a curve counterspell deck. And that is exactly true. It's like, since you have no sweepers, you have really no comeback mechanism, like, you need to just continually answer the things as they put them out, and basically everything is a threat, so, yeah, the the deck, in a sense, is pretty easy, because it's just, like, on turn two, if you have a, a sensor or a scatter, you cast it, on turn three, if you have a disallow, you cast it, it, like, it doesn't really matter, so, to that end, for control, it's, like, normally you have a lot of planning, you know, like, how am I gonna, like, get the most value out of my Wrath of God, and how am I going to stick this Planeswalker and all this stuff? This is literally just like point and click. You just kill their stuff every turn and then find a way to win.
1: Yeah, I, I love it. It looks great. A couple more individual card choices I'd I'd love to get your feedback on. You mentioned Gifted Aetherborn and Gonti when you were talking before, but you didn't end up playing Gifted Aetherborn here. You played Contraband Kingpin. Do you want to talk a little bit about that choice?
0: Uh, they both suck. It, they like, both suck. Against Red, so Aetherborn does bad things to your mana, there, there is a workaround there. Like Kelvin's deck, I think was set up pretty well to cast things like Gifted Aetherborn, and it's le- a lot tougher to do it when you're playing the four evolving wilds that Raptor and Sam played. Like especially in game one, like you can't you can't play that card in game one because it just turns on all their dead cards. Mm-hmm. So as a sideboard plan, I don't particularly like it because it doesn't really shut down any of their good draws. Like sometimes you will stabilize with an Aetherborn against like a bunch of two power things but most of the time it's like well they have to keep in lightning strikes against you anyway or you know they just choose to now and then they just take them out kingpin has the four toughness which makes it a little bit more difficult to deal with and it's you really don't need death touch necessarily it's just like you have it's just a two mana one four creature and it's like that ends up being like slightly better against them than like a two three death touch And the lifelink is relevant to some degree, but most of the time these things are just like deterring them from attacking anyway. And you are very rarely attacking them. So it it really doesn't matter all that much. It's just Kingpin has the four toughness and it's easier to cast. So that's why I got the nod. But like if there's literally anything else that was good against red, like we would have played that instead. Because Kingpin does not solve really any of the problems. It's just like, oh, maybe, you know, this shuts down like two Bowmats and a Kenra or something for like a little bit of time. But, like, Kingpin and even Aetherborn just line up so poorly against, like, their four and five drops that they bring in against you. Like, you just absolutely cannot let Shondro resolve if you have a Kingpin.
1: Do you think maybe the correct answer for Red, and we'll talk about Red's place in the metagame going forward in, in just a minute, but maybe something just going for essence extraction instead, uh, not we even had... trying to play creatures?
0: Sam and I had that, and Raptor had three.
1: Oh, that's right, you have two in the main, yep Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, like, we we played, like, max cards against Red that we possibly could. Sam's plan against them was go up to 4 Extraction, 4 Contempt, and a bunch of gear hulks. And that's all he wanted to do. Like, he played with Kingpin and ran afoul of, like, all the problems. And, like, they're they're also siding in uh, Rampaging for Ocidon, right? So it's yeah. just, like, a, a, it's another thing that just shuts it down. So, like, Kingpin is not good. It was just, like, we need another card against Red that does something, and that had a potential to do something, but it wasn't good.
1: Okay, so we're still in the search for other good cards versus red. How was your matchup versus red when, when all was said and done? Did it feel positive?
0: Well, I beat uh, Sandy Dog, MTG, on Magic Online uh, two days before the tournament when I lost the die roll, so I was feeling pretty good about it.
1: Yeah, that's all That's all you need. You basically stopped testing the red matchup at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's close. If you get to curve removal spells into a fatty, then great. Uh, Scarab God is... The like probably the most important card because you can just slam it on five and then they will do something to get slightly ahead, like maybe play a Chandra or play a Hazaret. But like hopefully you have the right answers. you can pick them apart. But, I found that you couldn't really play the Drago game very effectively against them because you never get a window to, like, play a draw to or, like, activate search or whatever. So your best plan is to just jam a 5-5. Like, it's nice because you get to reanimate a bunch of haste creatures from them. So, like, Chandra basically never sticks. And, you know, sometimes you can just, like, race a Glory Bringer and everything. So uh, okay. I do think Scarab God is the best plan against them, uh, which is why I played three in my main deck. And I believe Sam and Raptor both played two. It's just not, it's not a great matchup, that's all. But, like, it, it is passable. It's like You're 45% or something.
1: Okay. Yeah, Scarab God turns out to be the best plan against a lot of decks. Just what he does. Uh, the next sideboard card I just wanted to talk about real quick, the other really interesting one. This is one that was creeping into my own deck list as the weeks went on. Vizier of Many Faces. How was that guy for you on the weekend?
0: That card is dope. So I used to have, like, Gonti's in a lot of my sideboards, and sometimes they, like, crept into my main decks and stuff. And Gonti is good against Teamer, but Vizier is generally a lot better because it deals with Hydra in a way that is much better than just having a Death Touch creature because eventually they, they can just remove the Death Touch creature, right? But if you clone a Hydra and have three energy, they need nine energy to get over yours, and then even then you can just, like, flash your thing back. So... There were also a couple situations where I got to, like, search it away. So it's like, okay, added value, cool.
1: Yeah, I think Vizier is great. Uh, I think that's a really great find. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see more and more of that card as the format goes on. You see that, uh, I know Seth Manfield had one in his sideboard. I think I think everyone in Genesis had one in their sideboard. It doesn't seem like the, the Peach Garden Oath was onto that tech yet. But I really like that card in both your deck and the teamer list going forward.
0: Yeah, I think PGO was just like, I'm i going to confiscation coup all their stuff, or whatever, and scatter all their stuff, and not worry about this clone, because the clone is kind of awkward, it, it just like, it sits there in your hands sometimes, and there are definitely games where they don't have a Hydra, they just have like, you know, Whirlers and Cubs and stuff, where the clone doesn't do a whole lot, and... At Worlds, especially once they know your are deckless, it's not like they jump through all these hoops to like slam a Hydra and they think it's going to be good, you know, because they know you have access to clones. So it actually ended up being a little worse than I thought it was going to be.
1: Okay. Going forward, is this deck a huge player in the meta? Was it a great choice for this weekend and then it's going to fade away? How do you feel about kind of the chances come this weekend for Nationals, say?
0: Uh, I think we had the best deck in the room and going forward, I think the deck is still good, but... Obviously, it gets a little bit worse once people, like, start testing against it. Maybe they have like, some specific sideboard cards and all that stuff. Like, it, it definitely does get a little bit worse. There is no longer whatever surprise factor we had, right? But I do think it is still good. It, it's probably a deck that is never going to, like, be the best deck or anything because the the onus is on you to, like, keep up with whatever they're doing. And sometimes that just fails, you know, like some, sometimes you just like don't do anything on turn three or turn four. Or you're like a turn behind and you just end up, you know, snowballing and, and losing because of that. But yeah, I, d- I do think the deck is still good. I mean, like this, the Scare God is just silly, especially in a deck that can protect it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything in particular that you would, you know, for people who are listening to this now and are thinking about playing this deck at nationals, any tech in particular you're looking at exploring, you know, any general advice you would give out?
0: The mirror is kind of crazy, especially in game one. Uh, We (laughs) we were talking about, like, how many control decks were going to show up, and then there's, like, the typical control deck arms race. You know, it's just like, especially since both players have search, it's like you're most likely going to see every card in your deck in game one, and then at that point all of your cards are going to trade off at some point. So it's like you just make sure that you don't spew off disallows on things that don't matter, and you have to, like, carefully sculpt your hand size to make sure that you, you don't have to, like, discard a bunch of, like, Essence Scatters to clean up. And we, we just talked about, like, okay, like, how many threats do we need game one to, like, actually win? Should we play four Ipnu Rivulets and just try and deck them? You know, like, all this nonsense, right? Uh, so I played some games uh, with, like, Rivulets against Raptor, and I would have won because of them, but I just, like, played in such a way to, like, kill him instead. And I was able to do that. So it's like, okay, well, we don't need these rivulets. They would ha- they would help. They would, like, lock it up, you know?
1: So training wheels, essentially.
0: Yeah, kind of. I mean, like, training wheels in that you have to play, like, a 40-minute game one. I don't know if that's training wheels or not, but...
1: Hmm. I think that's probably something that I should avoid, given my proclivity for draws and not being a particularly fast player in the first place. Um, you might have just... Clinch the nail in the in the coffin for UB for me this weekend. We'll see.
0: Well, if if you have search advantage, you just bury them. Okay. Like that's step one. But like once we had we we had a bunch of field of ruins in our deck, then it was just like, okay, well we end up playing like this normal game, you know. If people are, like, copying Kelvin's list or whatever, then it won't matter because he only had two and one, I believe. But, yeah, they're they're most likely going to copy Raptors, and then they have three and three. So it gets a little more difficult, so you have to add something else. Another thing you could do is just, like, play more threats that are not threats. Like, play two Gonti's main deck, which would be okay against Teemer. Pretty bad against Monored, but then your Scarab God's... Become like must counters instead of like oh maybe I can just let this resolve and Vraska's Contempt it you know
1: mm, yeah
0: that could be helpful and then obviously if you just like Gaunty one of the relevant cards like a threat or a disallow or something like you know you're so far ahead
1: yeah very interesting I am curious to see how things play out here if if this is going to be a-, a big competitor this weekend what about the other decks in the room did you have any takeaways from what everyone else b- brought to the table
0: so Martin was working with us and he decided that he did not want to play control mirrors against, uh, Shota and Yuya. And can't like, blame him. Well, it's, it's kind of defensible, right? But it's also like, dude, you like, you're playing in worlds. Like you are one of the best in the world. Like, why do you think that you can't do this? You know, like, do you think that your edge is really better playing something like mono red where, you know, they're going to have prepared for you. Right.
1: I see, where, I see what you're saying, but you have to know where your bread's buttered. And, you know, how many times has Martin played against those guys? And if they've played circles around him in the past, I could see the hesitation on his part. I'm not saying that's the case. I don't know that authoritatively. But, you know, if he's just sitting there thinking in his head of all these times that Shota has got him in the control mirror, then I could see being a little gunshot. You know you're going to play those people. It's not like a regular pro tour where you're like, oh, I can't play this deck, because I'll play, I'll play someone better than me. No, you know you're playing someone who has proven themselves to be better in that kind of context.
0: Yeah, so round four, I sit down, play against Yuya, and Martin's sitting right next to me, and he is just cackling. You know, <laughs> he's just like, see? See, this is what I did. And then Yuya was playing Teamer, and he got, he, like, mulliganed to five and then got mana flooded in game two or whatever. Like, there were are, are a lot of non-games I played in this tournament, but... Raptor played against Shota and beat him in the control mirror because I was right, and people did not have enough, like, searches in answer to search. Like, Shota had three searches in one field of ruin. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we just like had deck edge on them. It didn't even matter. And anyway, Martin played, ended up playing Mono Red. He was talking about like what deck should I play? Should it be Teamer or Mono Red. And I was like, I think you should play Mono Red with fewer spells and more creatures, like Rigging Runner, Ferocidon. I think like that version of Mono Red is much better against Teamer than like the twelve spell version, like the Moto list. Yeah. He spent a bunch of days testing, and then eventually came to the conclusion like, oh, I think I'm gonna put a bunch of Rigging Runners and Ferocidons in my deck and cut come, cut some of these spells. Just like yeah, good good job, man. You figured it out. <laughs> so I like Martin's deck compared to the other mono red decks in the field, but obviously it's like I'm kind of biased because that was the list that I told him to play.
1: Yeah, why do you think mono red had such a hard time in this tournament?
0: I I think that they grossly overestimate how good their matchup is against Teamer. I don't think that matchup was ever very good for them.
1: Is is that really a thing? People think that they're favored against Teamer as the the Ramnap red deck.
0: Well, if you played red in that tournament. I would hope that you would think that you're a favorite against teamer, but then everyone just like played the moto list and the moto list isn't doing anything particularly good against teamer. You only have eight one drops. It's just, it's really hard to swarm them. Mm. And then you, you just end up pigeonholing yourself into getting into this like mid game battle where like, they're going to have like Hydra and Whirler and Glorybringer and your hazard, not going to get through and you have to like try and burn them out, which just like doesn't work. Like, the way that you beat them is just having three or four things in play by turn three, you know? And just making it so they can't stabilize. Like, you beat them with your creatures.
1: Yep, that's been my exactly my experience in the matchup. And in all but, like, the multiple one-drop games, I feel like it's very difficult to actually lose from the position of Teamers' side. Yep. So, it's not like I didn't think Up Red would be represented at this tournament, but the degree to which it was definitely surprised me.
0: Everyone just has, like, their own deck preferences, you know? It's true, that's...
1: but it doesn't seem like I don't know. There, there's some guys here who are playing Red who the first time they did it, I was willing to go. Okay, this was clearly the best deck in the room. I understand what they're doing here, and now it kind of makes me scratch my head. I'm surprised so many people ended up in this direction.
0: Uh, maybe there's just there there's a ceiling, right, or a barrier for like what a deck has to do in order to exist in the standard format. You know, like Teamer is very powerful and Red is yeah. very powerful and there wasn't like a good control deck until now. So it was, like people would have had to find it. So it's just like, are, are you really going to try and play something else when you could just play Red or Teamer? And I'm not sure why like Ephro, for example, did not play Teamer. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's that was the first one to stick out to me, actually, when I was scrolling the, through this list of red players. Like, PV, you kind of give a pass, because he just won the Pro Tour with red, so you're like, okay, he's got some recency bias there, I understand. But yeah, Efro was one that surprised me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you, but I, I I think it is just, like, it's a safe choice, like, Worlds is obviously a very difficult tournament, you want to play something that's a good deck, and then you just kind of get caught up in that, and you don't realize, oh, like, this deck actually is pretty bad.
1: yeah. That's my takeaway from this weekend and my advice going forward, stay away from red for a little while. There'll be a time when it's it's the right week for it. I don't think this is the right week for it at all. Not a good choice for Nationals in my eyes.
0: No, Teamer Teamer just won the tournament. I think there's going to be a ton of Teamer. Uh obviously if like blue black ever becomes like the best deck or whatever, maybe you can like get them with mono red then. But yeah, I especially this weekend I would just stay away. I would just be looking at things that actually beat up on Teamer, which is changing the blue-black deck a little bit uh, to combat PGO's list, and maybe looking at weird stuff like the stockpile decks.
1: Yeah, we're going to get to those in a minute, because I have a lot to say about them. But let's talk about, before we get to that point, let's talk about the deck that won the tournament, Huey's Teamer Energy list. Is there anything you want to talk about with this list? There's some interesting card choices, but it looks just like a typical PGO, beautifully tuned list with really specific and really clear sideboard plans, essentially.
0: Yeah, no, their, their deck is really good. Uh, there are some criticisms that I would make, but I think they're ultimately, like, kind of minor. Just, like, the commit memory looked sort of good at times, but I think is probably nonsense.
1: Such an interesting choice. I, I wonder what drove them to that point. It seems like they just want a clean answer to anything, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it gets a Hazard off the table. It gets a Scarab God off the table. Like, I get it.
1: But it's so can't... low power.
0: It's it's also like kind of a main deck hate card against Approach if you think that that's going to be a thing because you can stop a Wrath or a Settled Wreckage or whatever. But uh, the Torrential gear hulks did not look super good to me. Uh, maybe if there was like a second Glimmer in the sideboard. They had Appetite for the Unnatural because they thought Sam was going to trick us into playing Stockpile.
1: <laughs> so this was a specifically targeted hate card against you.
0: Yes. And we ended up playing Search. So it's just like, okay, whatever.
1: Yeah, they kind of got there accidentally. Yeah. I guess now is a good time to transition to that point. You talk about Sam tricking you into playing Stockpile. I am sure that you guys thoroughly explored Stockpile list. Why don't you give me your thoughts on, on that deck right now?
0: Well, we let Sam explore that. I was, I was never going to like pick up and play that deck, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But he tried a lot of different versions, just like general, normal version. Uh, the second one he had that was pretty cool was Ruthless Knave, Marionette Master. Uh, and then the moto list started popping up with like all the Vraska's in them. Uh, Eric Hawkins played the open with the Esper tokens one. So Sam was trying all this nonsense, right? And he was like doing okay sometimes. And then he would just like start losing to team or start losing to red. And that it was, it was funny because we finally get him on blue black. And then he would just like lose the tokens over and over and over again.
1: Yeah. I could, I could see that. That seems like a nightmare matchup for the blue black yeah. deck.
0: Yeah, it's it's basically impossible. I mean, like we could play very specific hate cards or whatever, but they they would just like prison him out. They would just like ixalons binding his scarab god and like you know like lost legacy gaunti or whatever he had, and then just like kill his gear hulks, and he just like
1: couldn't win. Just no way to win. Jeez, I'm very interested in these anointing procession lists and in all the flavors. Uh, the one I'm least interested in is is probably the stock one, the the Abzan one with. Verasca. some Esper lists are starting to pop up. Uh, the Moto PTQ had three Anointed Procession decks in the top eight, all a little bit different, all very interesting. Um, and when I think about the format, if I make the assumption that the format is now about three pillars in Teamer, Mono Red, and the Blue Black Control list, which may be a flawed assumption, you know, maybe Approach deserves its place in that pantheon, even if it didn't show up at Worlds. But if I make the assumption that those three decks are the pillars, I kind of like the matchup that the Procession decks have against all three of those decks. Um, Obviously, Teamer can be tuned to beat almost anything, and it's not like I think that matchup is a buy. Um, But I think it's pretty close to even, maybe slightly favored on the the part of the Anointed Procession decks. And I think Anointed Procession is a huge favorite against Blue Black and a pretty huge favorite against Mono Red as well. Yeah. So if that's kind of what you're picking out for your metagame right now, I don't know. I, I think this deck... Merit some consideration for nationals this weekend
0: i mean i, I think Ferocidon is a pretty big issue and the the more the people have like played against the deck the worse it gets right because it's like they know when they're supposed to like use a shock on a token or whatever the tiny decisions that actually end up mattering like a, if you're playing against the deck for the first time you're just going to do it all wrong right
1: Yes, that's true. Like any deck, it's it's losing its novelty edge at this point. Everyone has played against it, and everyone is starting to think about it as evidenced by, you know, the appetites in the sideboard of Huey's List. And, you know, this PTQ that I'm talking about was ultimately won by Jonathan Sekenik, who played Huey's List card for card. Yep. I think maybe the tides are already turning a little bit against it, but it's kind of I think it's kind of the sexy choice for this weekend, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of Anointed Procession decks floating around everyone's nationals this weekend.
0: Yeah, it's scary because I want to run back blue-black, but I think it's probably wrong.
1: Well, that was going to bring me to my next question. <laughs> what are you leaning towards for Nats? And I guess the answer would be blue-black right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, t- to some degree, I want to just redeem myself from worlds you know so it's like i want another chance with this deck and this certainly seems like a reasonable time to play it but at the same time it's just like there's gonna be so much random stuff out there you know like there are gonna be saltide decks and like gift of the god pharaohs and just like pummeler and nonsense right so mm-hmm. i should probably just play teamer
1: yeah That would be the safe choice. And honestly, kind of what I am leaning towards right now, it it would either be teamer or black-white. Those are kind of the two considerations I've narrowed it down for. I I love the look of the blue-black list. I have concerns that as the field gets more open, it's going to have some problems. And with this white-black deck on a very clear uptick, that makes me concerned. I I would love to play a blue-black control deck. It's absolutely my style. But I, I just don't see it lining up well against the entirety of the format right now.
0: Yeah, it it makes me sad. I mean, Cho played some with the deck on Magic Online, and he was like, this deck's great. I went 5-0 and 4-1. And then he got back to me today and was like, all right, I went 3-2 twice and 2-3 once. One of them was, you know, like a internet connection error thing or whatever. But yeah, it's just, I, I think it is getting worse, you know? And there are only 15 sideboard cards, and there are some decks that like Fatal Push isn't good against, and certainly that Essence Extraction is not good against. So, yeah, it is it is it is getting worse for the deck, and I think this might be one of the times where, you know, we we had a good deck for the tournament, and we try not to hold on to that. You know, we try not to run it back, because, like, one of the worst things you can do is play a deck for longer than it's good.
1: Mm-hmm. So, when you were metagaming for Champs, and Sam mentioned in his article today that you did an exceptional job of metagaming for champs you were able to kind of narrow down the field a little bit right like you didn't have that same broad range that you have to consider going into an event like nationals where the field's just wide open and uh, apparently you did a very good job at putting your opponents on decks based on their predilections
0: yeah i ginned it it was sick i mean i i thought that a lot of the people who were going to be playing green decks uh might lean towards black green i thought there was going to be more black green but People uh, eventually decided that Teamer was just, like, the stronger choice. It's just a stronger deck overall, higher power level, and all that.
1: And that kind of opened the door for Blue Black a lot. When you were able to make those kind of assumptions, and obviously they're just assumptions until you walk in the door and you're like, oh, I nailed it. But still, being comfortable in those assumptions, leaning on your metagaming ability, really unlocked the key to this deck for you guys, I think. You didn't have to worry about things like White Black and other nonsense going on.
0: Yeah, and I, I generally suck it at metagaming, you know? It's like... I cannot get inside the mind of, like, a Grand Prix player, or at least, like, the Grand Prix Hive mind. You know, it's like, I don't know that, like, 20% are going to play red, or if, like, 5% are going to play red. I generally have no idea. But for this tournament specifically, it was so easy, because, like, I've studied these players, like, over several years. You know, like, I know them. I know where they're leaning. I know where their head's at. And... It was it was super simple for me to, like, go down the list and just be like, this is what I think they're going to play, and it's just like, yeah, obviously there are so many more variables, and there's, like, two weeks of testing and all these results and everything, but it was just like, come on, like, you think that Brad is not going to play Teamer? Like, I, I think that, like, he was one of the people I had pegged as, like, maybe Black Green if he, like, finds some list that he thinks is favorite or whatever, but it's like... At the end of the day, I got to narrow it down to, like, basically zero to five people other than us were going to play control, and that was going to be, like, <clears throat> Shota and maybe Paulo Efro. you know?
1: Did you anticipate Approach, or just was, was it an open, like, because I think whether it's Approach or, like, a blue-black base control deck changes very much the type of cards you want in your deck.
0: We thought that had they played with Approach, they would realize that the deck is terrible.
1: Okay, that's kind of where I'm at as well, so that makes sense.
0: So, uh, for control, we had them on blue, black, or Crixis. Okay. Um, and it was like, people are going to, these are the people that are going to play green decks. These are the people that are going to play red. And it's just like kind of non-negotiable past that.
1: Very interesting. And maybe that's another interesting thing to talk about. How did your preparation change for this tournament? It was, it was just the same thing that you had to, at some point, consider that it was a very different field, a very different kind of round robin structure to play where you could play people multiple times. What did you do differently?
0: Well, say I was going to Nationals, and I wanted to spend a week testing, I would probably not be searching for the same things that I was searching for going into Worlds. So, Worlds was like, alright, we have this metagame that we want to fight, and maybe we could, we could try and make a hard read on it and play the stockpile deck. And that's even assuming that, like stockpile is 80% against Teamer and 80% against Red, which I don't think it is. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe you're like 60 against Red and 70 against Teamer or something. But for something like Nationals, it's like, I don't want to play Blue-Black, really. I want something that's just generally a good, powerful deck. But for Worlds, it's like, I want to exploit these people and maybe not necessarily make a hard read because, you know, like... Someone could have deviated, right? Like, it is, it is possible. Just because everyone showed up with Red and Teamer doesn't mean that, like, if you run the tournament a thousand times, that's what they play always. It was just like, that is what those people decided to do, right? So, I think, I think Blue Black was uh, a soft read on the metagame, and uh, it was kind of a hedge against weirder stuff. So, like, you get, you get disallows and all that nonsense. But, obviously, they go super weird with Stockpile, like, you're just cold. And mm-hmm. you, know, you can't win. And that's fine. Like, I think for these tournaments, like, you want to, like, take risks and play decks that can can help you win the tournament. Not just, like, you know, play Teamer or play Red and just be, like, coin flipping every round. Like, you actually have to try and exploit the player's tendencies because the, the field is so small, like, you're going to get to capitalize on that. Whereas, going into Nationals, it's like, yeah, you can try and exploit the weakness of Teamer, but, like, what are the odds that you play against Teamer in you know, four of your eight rounds or six of your eight rounds, right? It's just not very high. But like at Worlds, it was just like, no, I think this is going to be the field and like we want to try and beat these people. So we played this deck.
1: Does the skill level of the players kind of push you towards making that same kind of gambit as well?
0: Uh, I mean, if if I were more practiced with red and thought it was a better deck or if I were more practiced with teamer, then yeah, maybe I just like try and tune my teamer deck or whatever. And I, I think my edge... It's gonna come from deck mostly, right? Yeah. So to to whatever that means, maybe it's not necessarily playing, but it is just like deck edge or just having better plans than people. And I just wanted some amount of that. Like I definitely did not want to play Moto Guy Red or Moto Guy Teamer because I don't think that that helps me very much. I think I have like a solidly like forty percent win percentage in that tournament if I do that.
1: Similar to how I would approach that tournament, just trying to get edge through what I think I'm good at, and that's deck building. And I I think you did the right thing. I think you were very close to having maybe some more hardware on your mantle if things just broke a little bit differently. Let's do a a post worlds fire check. Are you like just burning to get back to next year's world championships? This light of fire under you, or is it just kind of like, all right, I've been there, I've done that. You know, if I make it back, fine. If not, I can live with it.
0: It's too hard, man. There's no way that I would get back to Worlds without doing well in multiple Pro Tours. So, if that's the case, like, I'm not I'm not going to change how I've been approaching Pro Tours or whatever because I think I've been doing pretty well. Like, I think I knew what deck I was supposed to play for, like, the last four big tournaments I played in. And so, I think I'm getting better, you know? And I think it's only a matter of time before, like, I will start having consistent, like, X and Fives at Pro Tours. But until that happens, like, I'm not going to Worlds. Like, I'm not going to get there. So... There's no point for me to, you know, be going to more Grand Prix or whatever, right? Like, it's just, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And, m- like, how I change my behavior is not going to necessarily make it happen any quicker.
1: That sparks a question for me to hear you say that. Do you think you're one of the 25 best players in the world?
0: Oh, I think, I think arrogant me would want to say that. Like, I, I think I am... Very good at certain things, I think. Uh, if I am well-practiced, I certainly play very well. You don't necessarily make or see me make a bunch of egregious errors on camera or anything, you know? But, like, I have my moments, and there, there are certainly times where, like, if I'm not well-practiced, like, I'm I'm a little rusty and bad. So, like, if I'm not always on my A game, I'm certainly not going to say that I'm, like, one of the best players or whatever. And, I yeah, I think that, I don't know, maybe I'm, like, top 50 or top 100 just in okay. general, but, yeah.
1: No, it's interesting to hear you because listening to you talk, it sounds like you don't evaluate yourself as someone who could be among the pro points leaders. But to me, and knowing that there's a huge amount of variance in determining those things, I, I don't see any reason why you couldn't be one of the top pro point finishers. Uh, if there's one strike against you, it's that maybe you don't chase GPs as hard as some other people do. Um, but with the kind of like weighted system and, and the rolling point system, I don't think that necessarily disqualifies you. And do you have to get a little bit lucky? Sure. Everyone who ends up in that position has to get a little bit lucky, but I think you belong in the conversation. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to see you make another world run, even without a pro tour victory.
0: So last year when I won the PT up to the PT, I had like some three point finishes in grand prix. And like, I was going to grand prix Uh mm. the two years before that I had filled up all my GP slots with threes or higher. So like, I, I fill up my GPs, I just
1: don't go to a lot of them. I think you have to go to a lot to get to the, the upper echelon, though, because you need to fill your GPs with, like, wins. And, you know, like Seth Manfield, where you have multiple wins in a season and, you know, however many top eights.
0: No, you just need to, like, X5, X4 in two of the PTs, and that's it. And, it's like, that's, that's what's holding me back is, like, the big 10-point the big finishes, you know?
1: Hmm. Interesting. Um, Well, I think those are certainly in your wheelhouse. I'm going to put it out there that it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see you back at Worlds next year. I understand the complications of it. I understand it's a difficult hurdle to overcome, but I would love to see it happen. Hopefully it does happen, and it really wouldn't surprise me at all. One last thing I want to wrap up with. Are you ready to call Ixalan a bust? Because it really wasn't out in force this weekend. Um, you know, it was kind it's, of like Search Kanta Azkanta, Contempt. That's about it. A little lightning strike here and there. Uh, but on the whole, it wasn't a coming out party for Ixalan. Are you are you over the set? Do you think it's time and Constructed is just going to have to wait for a rotation?
0: I don't know, man. It's, it's Worlds. Worlds is a weird tournament. Most people weren't taking risks. I don't think that, like, dinosaurs are busted or anything. And if you're playing a green deck, like... Teamer, Teamer just, like, keeps getting refined. Like, it, just, it was at a point where it was like, oh, they can't do anything else to it, and then they just keep making the deck better, you know? I, I do think that, like, Ixalan has playable cards and playable strategies, and the Magic Online results are, like, fairly diverse, not necessarily with Ixalan cards, but just in general. So, like, I think Standard is probably in a pretty good place, but, yeah, like, Ixalan is certainly lower on power level than, you know, Kaladesh Block and maybe even Cat, So... Yeah, maybe maybe it's not going to shine until rotation. But then even then, I, I assume, like, whatever the next set is is also going to be, like, a slightly higher power level than Ixelon. So maybe there, there just isn't going to be a time, you know? Maybe, like, Rivals is probably, like, the best chance you have, right? You have, like, this critical mass of, like, good dinosaurs or good pirates or whatever. And maybe maybe those cards are, are worth it and the payoffs are there. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad.
1: Yeah, I, I understand that thinking. I'm of the opinion that this set is not done yet. There's still a lot of time left. You know, you go back and look at our and, and Scarab God set on the sidelines for how long until it was ubiquitous and absolutely everywhere. There, there's just going to be things that we miss, things that the meta kind of needs to turn to. I still think there's a lot of really powerful cards in this set. We see the flip cards getting more and more play, kind of. The one that's still sitting out there is is growing Rights. Um, I still believe that that card will will find a place, but it's playing into a hostile metagame right now and a very powerful metagame. It was a disappointing first week. I'm not off Ixalan yet. I could see it totally rising to prominence and a, and a lot of great new archetypes still being discovered at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a Pro Tour in like three weeks,
1: you know? I kind of forget that, right? Doesn't it? That's a strange strange position to be in. We've never done Worlds like this before, where Worlds kind of acts as the debut of the set. But yeah, there could be some crazy innovation coming out in the next three weeks once everyone gets unleashed on it.
0: Yeah, Nationals this weekend, which is like, you know, the the first time that the non-pro players get to take, like, a big crack at, like, kind of this uh, standard format that had, like, been set, right? Like, the Open kind of set it, and then the Magic Online results have been coming in, and then I'm sure just, like, everyone else has been working on on the format, right? And it's, like, they probably have, like, a bunch of cool stuff that we haven't seen. We played against, like, some sweet decks uh, leading up to Worlds, which was is always fun. It's, like, you just, like, call everyone in the room over, and it's just, like, Sam Black was playing against kind of, like, treasure map control, like, sort of similar to, like, what Conley has been streaming, but it's just, like, treasure map, uh, Contraband Kingpin, Spell Swindle, and it was, like, they would... Transform treasure map, get a bunch of treasures, spell swindle like one of Sam's big spells, and they would just have like this absurd mana advantage plus like personal howling mind and just like eventually kill him with marionette master. And it was like, oh wow.
1: Yeah, okay. I've seen that one too, and I've, I've also lost to that in my time in the queues.
0: Yeah, and it's just like that, that seems like a real deck actually. I don't know.
1: It, it did when I was losing to it. I was like, how do I ever beat this in a million years? I don't remember what I was playing against it. I think I was playing Rug, but but yeah, there, there's there's cool stuff floating out there, and I hope we see some of it kind of rise to the top of the heap this weekend
0: yeah and we'll see i mean i i do think the treasure map is is very strong yeah that's a neat
1: card that, that will find a place that, like we said there's a lot of cards out there so i'm I'm holding my horses on this one before i throw ixalon out with the trash there's there's going to be something cool
0: yeah but i think the cool stuff is probably like not necessarily with ixalon for the most part i wonder how much like the bad mana has anything to do with things too
1: it certainly disqualified a lot of my ideas. We're kind of pigeonholed into these. You're either playing a tune or you're playing allied colored pairs. And I think anything else is you're asking for too much out of your mana base. Right. Okay. Let me hand it back to you for the close of the show. Is there anything, I'll give you the host reins. anything you want to talk about before we wrap up here?
0: In addition to worlds just being a lot of fun and really nerve wracking and just kind of like this pinnacle of competition, it was it was really nice that it was like this very small field and, you know, like all the players got like individual time from, it's like having a small classroom kind of. It's just like all, all the people who are working the show know you. If you ask for something that's reasonable, they give it to you. Like we all got our own hotel rooms. We got our travel paid for. We got like these swag bags and all this stuff. Like it was just like a really nice experience. It was really cool. So uh, even even outside of the awesome competition stuff, like I had a really good time at Worlds. And it just it, it came and went. I was, I was looking forward to it for so long, and now it's over, and, and now what? I don't know what I'm doing.
1: Uh, I'm incredibly jealous as I prepare to, this weekend, um, fly through multiple airports, jam into a hotel with three other dudes, and then take a nine-hour car ride back from Nationals. Uh, <laughs> your experience sounds pretty ideal. Um, I hope one day I also get to experience... But it was it was also a lot of fun as a viewer. Uh, like I said, I didn't get to see all of it, but the parts I did catch were great. I really liked the walking the planes that you did. Uh, yeah. it's, it's always cool to see what Nate does. I, I think he's such an asset to the community. He does such a great job and cares so much about his subject matter.
0: Yeah, man. He's incredible.
1: Yep. And just a great guy, too. And he's really good at basketball, if you ever play basketball with him.
0: Uh, I haven't, but it's like, you know, I hang out with, like, Huey and Marshall enough that eventually it comes up and... Yeah, they they started talking about how like uh, Raptor was fouling Luis a bunch and. And the Raptor's just like, look, man, I'm a soccer player, you know? Like, I, I, I'm used to just, like, using my body to do things.
1: <laughs> yeah, I played with uh, Marshall and Nate one time, and they just, like, basically towered over everyone else on the court. Plus, we were all just, like, schlubby Magic players and not very good at basketball anyway. Yeah. It was, like, kind of, like, them just donking on us repeatedly. But uh, it was a lot of fun, and, and Nate's a great guy, and I'm really uh, – I'm always excited to see what he comes out with for these events.
0: Yeah, man, I, I love – I loved like walking the planes and enter the battlefield. I I love whenever like a new episode of those things come out. They're always great. To be the star of one, that was really cool.
1: It was really cool. I I got a little emotional when I was watching it. It was it was a very cool thing to see. Word. Uh, I think that about does it for us. You want to take us out?
0: Yeah, man. Uh, should we just play Teamer this weekend?
1: I am. I would say I'm 80% to play Teamer, 20% to play Black White, and the reason I'm so low on Black White is because I can't picture myself. Carrying around a stack of like 100 tokens and setting up that board state—it just—it's like giving me anxiety right now, just thinking about it. And that's a horrible way to choose your deck, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I think it's going to be teamer for me this weekend.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if you think you're going to like miss any triggers too, it's just like that's disastrous.
1: It's totally possible. I will play live between now and then, so I, I'm sure switching from moto to IRL will make a big difference with that deck.
0: Yeah, and there's a ton of stuff going on with that deck, and I don't know. Whatever, I guess I'll just make a good teamer list. I'm going to do a video tonight with Blue Black, and we'll see if it feels good. And I'll do some some brief brewing with Treasure Map, but it's looking like a teamer weekend for me. I'm with you. That's game! Good luck!